following is a message from Living Waters Church in Elk River, Minnesota. For more information, visit livingwatersmn.org. Today we are celebrating the arrival of joy. We heard it in our Advent reading, Luke chapter 2, verse 10 and 11. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Because today in the city of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. And so I want to, thank you, I want to focus on um, that statement It's a loaded statement. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Those four words, bring you good news, is actually one word in in the Greek language. I bring you good news is one word, and it's the same word that comes from our word for evangelize. So the angels came as evangelists to the shepherds, to bring the good news to them. And then the next word, I bring you good news of great joy. This is my favorite. The word great is actually mega in Greek. Mega joy. And there's something, you know, like the mega rolls of toilet paper and the (laughs) mega size of a mega meal and the mega monster truck. It's the biggest. It's the most. And so here is this good news of mega joy, which is delight, gladness, or more properly, the awareness of God's favor and grace. That this joy is the awareness. It's like the the huge awareness of who God is. And not only who he is, but his favor and grace extended towards us. There's actually kind of a concept of a leaning in. I bring you great, good news of great joy that he's leaning in, and we're leaning into this grace that he gives us. So I want to answer two questions or talk about these two things. What is mega joy, and how do we get it? And the other question, because it says, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. And so the question that we might ask, and the question that others may ask is, is this great joy for me? So we're going to talk in a minute about what is mega joy and and how do we get it. But I want to talk about this other question that we might ask when we hear this, and that is, is it great joy for me? I feel like there are times when we come upon Christmas and we talk about joy, and I have to say that as a pastor, sometimes I know what's going on in some of your lives. And there's a place where I go, I'm going to talk about joy today, but I know what's going on in some of your lives. And so there can be this question when we talk about this good news of great joy for all people where we go, yeah, not this year, not for me. You don't know the year I've had. 
You don't know what I'm in the middle of right now. You don't know what I'm facing. You don't know how alone I feel or what loss I've experienced or what lack I'm feeling. You don't know this year it's not for me. I'm not the Hallmark movie couple. I'm not George Bailey. I hope you know that reference. If you don't, go see It's a Wonderful Life. It only gets really good at the end, though, I'm just saying. So hang in there. Sorry, Josiah. <laughs> One time, we told Josiah, we realized he hadn't, I don't know, this was maybe a couple years ago, we realized he'd never seen It's a Wonderful Life. And we're like, Josiah, it's the best, most uplifting movie ever. You have to see this movie. It's like the quintessential Christmas music movie. It's, it's just so uplifting. And we're three quarters of the way through the movie. And he's going, why are you doing this to me? This is a terrible movie. This is an awful movie. It only gets good at the very end. We forgot about that. But there's something about that, that'll preach. <laughs> it gets really good at the very end. But I want to answer this question because I don't want to preach a message today about the mega joy that we have access to and have you sitting here going, yeah, but that's not for me, not right now, not this year. It is for you. <laughs> In fact, when it says it is for all people, it really meant that it is a message and a reality of great joy for all people. The, who, who this was spoken to were shepherds. And there's some argument about, so I'm, I'm not going to go into the whole thing, but shepherding was a humble station. It was a, a humble class. It wasn't particularly notable. It was hard work. It was a time away from home all the time. And here's they're saying, this is great joy for you. In another place, the Magi hear this message of great joy or see this great joy, and they rejoice in the pursuit of it. And these were men who were in king's courts and had all the wisdom and stature, and, and, and it was a message of great joy to them too. Precisely, Christian, uh, Christmas is a time for all people, especially those who are in a difficult situation. I've found something that I'm just going to read. It's an article titled, Christmas is for those who hate it most. Christmas is for those who approach this season and go, oh, I have stress, I have this, this struggle, I have brokenness in my family, what is that going to look like? I have lack, I've had loss. That is who this message of great joy was for. Yes. Was for those who had need. Christmas is the great story of the incarnation of the rescuer. It's for everyone, especially those who need a rescue. Jesus was born as a baby to know the pain and sympathize with our weakness. Jesus was made to be like us so that in his resurrection we can be made like him. 
free from the fear of death and the pain of loss. Jesus' first recorded worshipers were not of the beautiful class. They were poor, ugly shepherds beat down by life and labor. They had been looked down on over many a nose. Jesus came for those who look in the mirror and see ugliness. Jesus came for daughters whose fathers never told them they were beautiful. Christmas is for those who go to wing night alone. Christmas is for those whose lives have been wrecked by cancer and that the thought of another Christmas seems like an impossible dream. Christmas is for those who would be nothing but lonely if not for social media. Christmas is for those whose marriages have careened against the retaining wall and are threatening to flip over the edge. Christmas is for the son whose father keeps giving him hunting gear when what he really wants is art materials. Christmas is for smokers who can't quit even though they face a death sentence. Christmas is for prostitutes and adulterers and porn stars who cannot quit even in the face, I'm sorry, who long for love in every wrong place. Christmas is for the college student who is sitting in the midst of their family and already can't wait to get out for another drink. Christmas is for those who traffic in failed dreams. Christmas is for those who have squandered the family name and fortune. They want home but cannot imagine a gracious reception. Christmas is for parents watching their children's marriage fall into disarray. Christmas is really about the gospel of grace for sinners. Because of all that Christ has done, the manger becomes the most hopeful place in the universe darkened with hopelessness. In the irony of all ironies, Christmas is for those who will find it the hardest to enjoy this year. Christmas really is for those who might hate it most. I just want to speak that, that we would receive the, the good news. <laughs> and we would recognize that it is great joy for us regardless of where we're at right now. Regardless of what we have experienced. Maybe it's been a tough year. Maybe you're in the middle of loss and disappointment. But it is good news of great joy for you. There's, a, there's something where good news becomes great joy when it becomes personal. If you, Steve, come and tell me, I want a million dollars. I would say, Steve, that is good news. But if I get a letter and it tells me I want a million dollars, that goes from good news to great joy. <laughs> Not that I wouldn't have great joy for you, Steve. But good, the good news of the gospel becomes great joy when it's personal, when we recognize that it is for us. And so right now, we're just going to position ourselves because we're going to talk about the fullness of joy, this mega joy that came on our behalf. But we're all going to position ourselves to say, it is good news for me. It is good news for me. Even though this and this and this and this is going on, this reality is good news for me. It is personal. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would make it personal this morning. That no matter what we're in the middle of, no matter what our year has looked like, 
that we would heed the, the uh, instruction of the angels to fear not and to receive the message of good news as great joy for us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So it is a message of great joy, not just joy, like not just like, you know, you're going to be kind of happy like this, about this, but it is great joy. The Bible talks all the time when it talks of joy, it, it always uses these superlatives, these fullness of joy, that your joy would be complete, that you would be overjoyed. It doesn't even, it just always goes for, for the money shot, not like you're just going to feel a little bit of joy. When the Bible talks about joy, it talks about this overflowing fullness of joy. What is that? <laughs> What is the fullness of joy? What does that look like for you and for me? So I want to start by defining it, because that's how I go. And one of the aspects is in defining something is to say what it's not. And we all know that joy and happiness are not the same, right? We all know that, that happiness has to do with what is happening. And so joy and happiness are not the same. Happiness is fragile and fleeting, and joy is not. This is how I know I'm experiencing happiness and not joy. The first thing is, happiness can often be material. It can have to do with what I have, with, with things based on stuff. We are in a season right now where we're about to have a lot more stuff. And we're working on getting the stuff for somebody that will make them happy. And we are going to give gifts at Christmas. I, but I'm just saying, there is this focus on material. And how many of you have kids, and there's this happiness that's like gone within minutes. They open the present, they, okay, and we can play, but the, that happiness is short-lived because the happiness of stuff, of material things, is not the same as joy. So happiness is material. Happiness can be manufactured. Sometimes we manufacture happiness. Oh, it's so good to see you. And we, I love having 15 different Christmas gatherings. And oh, no, I'm not stressed at all. We, I don't have 15 different Christmas gatherings, by the way. I'm talking about you guys. But we, we manufacture happiness. We fake it till we make it. We, we put it on. And sometimes we can try to like exude happiness, but really we're dying on the inside. So happiness is, is often material, it's often manufactured, and we know it's happiness and not joy when it's momentary, when it has to do with the circumstance right now in this moment. I have a happy feeling because of what's happening right now. I got to see this movie I wanted to see. We got our tree and our decorations up, and it's beautiful, but it's momentary. We got to travel 
Vacations, which again, I will also take vacations, but it's not my source of joy. A vacation is a, a moment we, okay, if I, I'll get away from everything and I'll go see things that I can't see at home and I'll have weather that I don't have at home and, and it's a vacation, but it's momentary. It's happiness. And, and we get to have that. We get to enjoy that, but it's not the same as joy. Joy is not material or found in material things. It's not manufactured. It's not momentary. Joy is a miracle. It's a different M. I know you noticed it was all M's. I know you care about that. Okay, only I care about that. But joy is a miracle. It is the miracle of God miraculously bringing sinners, those walking in darkness, into his life of joy. It's a miracle. It's something that seems completely, how did this happen? Because you're not even on vacation. How are you having this joy? You didn't get the thing you wanted. You're not driving the car that you wanted to drive. You're not in the relationship you want to be in. You're not, but you have joy. It's a miracle. This is the difference between happiness and joy. Do you know God is the most joyful being in the universe? Because he has joy. His kingdom is is joy. It's part of the atmosphere that he breathes. And he didn't create mankind or creation or he didn't create any of those things to give himself joy. He created it to share his joy to invite us into his joy. I have so much joy, I don't know what to do with it. I'm going to put it into mankind. I'm going to give it to them. I'm going to give them a way of entering into this joy. So he, he is joy. Happiness is an emotion. But he is joy. We hear about Jesus both in, Psalm, in, in the Psalms and then it's uh, quoted in Hebrews, that God has anointed you with joy above your companions. That's Jesus he's speaking of. And it was spoken in Psalms and then in Hebrews it quotes it. And it, what it's saying is, is that Jesus, as a man, was anointed with joy above every other man, person, human that he was anointed, he was poured over. What's interesting is, we also hear Jesus described as the man of sorrows. But he was the most joyful man on the earth. We hear Jesus saying he had no place to lay his head, but he was the most joyful man on the earth. We see Jesus' relationships that are fraught with betrayal and denial and people leaving him and calling him the devil. But he was the most joyful man on the earth. We see that Jesus was hated by many, but he was the most joyful man on the earth. And we see Jesus who would die the most painful and shameful death, but he was the most joyful man on the earth. And so when we're looking for How do we have this fullness of joy, this mega joy? We look to Jesus. 
because he's our model of how to walk that out, not just from a heavenly perspective, but from an earthly perspective. How do I walk in this fullness of joy? And part of it's recognizing that it's fully embodied in him and in who he is. One of the things I think we need to remember is that sometimes we mistakenly label the things that we experience or receive or or possess as the source of our joy. We might say, blank is a great source of joy for me. Or if I had this, I would have joy. Or I lost this, so I don't have joy. That there's somehow something we have to leave or change or achieve or experience to have that joy. And we need to recognize that there are many things. God looked at creation. There are many good things that can sort of bring us joy. Even in scripture it talks about that the things of creation are meant to make our heart glad. That children make our heart glad. That... um, there's a, a place in Proverbs where it, it compares the joy of a good-smelling perfume with the joy of a good friendship and a good relationship, that those things have joy. But where we get confused is we begin to believe that joy comes from those things when the truth is that it comes through those things because the source of joy is in God himself. And so one of the ways that we can experience the fullness of joy is to know where it actually comes from. I believe there's many ways that Jesus was joyful in some, his experience on the earth, but not because it came from those things, because it came through them from the source of joy. And so we want to, to experience the fullness of joy, recognize that That joy doesn't come from what you have, it comes from what you know can't be taken from you. Joy doesn't come from what we have, it comes from what we know can't be taken from us. Jesus, it talks about that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He had joy even in that because he knew what couldn't be taken from him. He knew what had been given to him. And so we consider today, as we look for the fullness of joy, where do I find my joy? Do I find joy in things? Do I believe my joy comes from things that can be taken from me? Or am I pursuing joy that comes from from him alone. So, the fullness of joy. Again, we look to Jesus, who gives us the model of how to walk this out. He talks about joy a lot in his last few moments with his disciples before he goes to the cross. He talks about the fullness of joy in... uh, John 15, 11, where he says, I've told you these things so that your joy may be complete or your joy may be full. In John 16, 20, he says, you will sor- sorrow now. Miss Madison read this verse this morning. 
You will sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. In John 16, 24, he says, ask and receive that your joy may be complete or full. And then in John 17, as he's praying, so these are all places where he was talking to the disciples. In John 17, where he's praying to the Father, and he's talking to the Father, and he says, but now I'm coming to you, and I'm saying these things while I'm in the world, so that they may have my joy fulfilled, made complete within them. So he's speaking to the Father, and he's saying, I'm telling them these things so that their joy can be Full, my joy can be fulfilled in them, that they can have the fullness of joy that I walk in. That's what Jesus is talking about. So we need to recognize that there is a fullness of joy both in this age and in the age to come. Because sometimes we can be a little bit confused about that. We can feel like, yes, yes, I know. I can have joy because when I die, I go to heaven. I'm like, that's the whole thing. That's not a very good gift. That's not fullness of joy. That's kind of like, you want a million dollars, but you can't really use any of it. There is a joy, yes, in the age to come. And the difference is the fullness of joy in the age to come excludes all competing emotions. There's a fullness of joy in the age to come that removes every other possible emotion. It says in Revelation 21.4, in that day, in this age to come, he will wipe away every tear Death will be no more, neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain, for the former things have passed away. That is the joy of the age to come. There, it excludes every competing emotion. There is only joy to be felt. That's all there is. But the Bible makes it very clear that until that point, we will also have sorrow. We don't like to talk about it so much. But the New Testament talks a lot, not only about joy, it talks sometimes in the same verse about sorrow and joy. That seems ridiculous. But it's real and it's possible. We see it in Jesus, that he could be a man of sorrows and yet anointed with joy above any other. And so in the age to come, there is a joy that excludes every other emotion. In this age, in the age that we're living in now, the part of the good news of great joy for us that we are living in now is a joy that outweighs every other emotion. Not that excludes it, but that outweighs it. That is more than those other emotions. That can overshadow those other emotions. There is a joy that can overshadow. So in the age to come, joy is that all competing emotions are excluded. In this age, all competing emotions are outweighed. We see an example of this in 2 Corinthians 6.10. We are sor sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. 
as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing all things. <laughs> Were they unstable? No. There is a stability to joy that doesn't exist in happiness that says, I can sorrow yet always be rejoicing because I possess a joy that outweighs every other emotion. It doesn't exclude it. We should not for one minute think that we, if we are experiencing sorrow in this world that we have not received the fullness of joy. You will have sorrow. Jesus said it. You will have sorrow. You will. In this world, you will have trouble. But be of good cheer, which is another word for saying have joy. I have overcome the world. Not I will overcome the world in the day when all other emotions are excluded. But there's a joy that we can walk in that outweighs it. How do I get it? How do I get this fullness of joy? Well, let's look in some of these same verses. When he's talking about, I've said these things. Do you ever read stuff like that? I've said these things, or therefore, or do you know that's an invitation to ask the next question? Don't ever read, I've said these things, and not go, what things? That's what our Bible's for, is to ask questions like that. So he says, I said these things. What things? Well, here's what he said. Let's look at chapter 15. This is what's preceding that. This is how we have fullness of joy. Chapter 15, verse 1. It's a bit of a long read. Hang in there. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. How many of you have felt pruned this year? <laughs> Just saying. Woohoo! It's a reward. Okay, that has nothing to do with what we're talking about today. Uh, he prunes it so that we, it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Are you getting the drift? If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away as a branch and dried up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be made full. What is the key to fullness of joy? It's abiding. It's abiding in Him. It is not separating ourselves from the, the moment of the big announcement of great joy. It's staying connected to the source of that. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. 
It comes from abiding in the branch and then produce, it's produced in our life. Joy is not something that you have to create. Joy is something that was sent to us and it's sent through the vine to the branches. We have an ongoing set, uh, source of joy in this abiding place. In Psalm 1611, it says, In your presence is fullness of joy. In Hebrew, there is not a word for the word presence. That word actually means in your face. In your face. Sorry, I don't know. Maybe that'll make you remember it. I'll remember it and I'll feel bad about it on Monday. In your presence, in your face, is fullness of joy. And so how do we abide? We stay facing him. We stay focused on him. We stay in his face. <laughs> we stop looking here and there and there. To, where is this joy? Where is this joy? We stay facing him face to face. We abide in him. Another aspect of the fullness of joy, there's so many things in the kingdom of God that seem a little upside down for us. And one of those things has to do with, a lot of times, if I want to have a lot of something, it means I'm sparing with it. I keep it. I hoard it. I, I, I keep it bottled up. But here's the thing about fullness of joy. Fullness of joy is actually about what overflows and what we give out. If you don't feel fullness of joy, it may be because you haven't been pouring out of the fullness of joy that you have. So we have fullness of joy when we recognize that this is good news of great joy for all people. It was sent to us but it needs to like be passed on. It's a, it's, a, it's a message of the fullness of joy that we, we pass on. Fullness of joy comes from sharing it. Again, we sometimes think, you know, abundance isn't about, you know, no, I need to keep it. But in the kingdom of God, abundance comes from sharing, from giving. It's for all people. Who around you doesn't know the good news or doesn't know that it's for them? Because here's what we see in Scripture. One of the ways we can have fullness of joy is we can recognize the places where Jesus experienced joy. I don't think I remember anywhere where Jesus said, I am having great joy with this food that I'm eating. Or... I'm having great joy by the entertainment I just experienced or any of that. But here's what we see Jesus talk about where there is great joy. The story of the, uh, the shepherd who leaves the 99 to go find the one. 
So the Leaves of 99, who are already in the pen, <laughs> because there's one that's lost, and the shepherd goes and finds him, and when he finds him, he brings all his friends in and says, let's have a party because I found the one lost sheep. And it says, I tell you the truth, heaven rejoices like this when one is found. <laughs> it actually says, heaven rejoices more over the one that's found than the 99 that are already there. Do you know how we can have fullness of joy? We can see lost ones found. Amen. That is what brought joy to Jesus. How many of you, when you hear the testimony of somebody, when you're watching somebody come into this reality of recognizing that good news is for me, doesn't it bring great joy to you? Uh, just a few verses later, he talks about the parable of the lost coin and the woman who loses the lost coin. It's a little coin, but it's lost and it's found. And it says, the angels rejoice at that. When we rejoice at the same things that heaven rejoices at, we will have fullness of joy. So the reality of that is, yes, this message is for me, but it's for all people and I will find great joy in seeing it released to all people. So here's what we're going to close with. We want to make room for great joy. <laughs> Sometimes we don't have fullness of joy because we're full of everything else. What are you full of? So we want to make room. The, the song we sang, Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. Where do I need to make room? Am I filled with something else? Do I seek joy in other things? Do I try to find it myself? Am I willing to receive the thing that is manufactured, material, or momentary? Or am I, do I have room for the miracle of joy in my life? You know what that means? Because some of us, we talked about earlier, are, are in a bad situation. We're in a, in a tough place. And I'm asking, can you make room for the good that the Lord wants to do? What does that look like for you? Some of us are in a pretty good place. We feel good. But there is a fullness of joy that we can experience if we'll make room for the better. This is the nature of God always. He's not just about going from bad to good. He's always about going from good to better. <laughs> he is a God of abundance and overflow. And so we want to make room not just to go from bad to good, but from good to better. So that's one thing we're considering. What am I full of that doesn't allow for the fullness of joy? 
And the second thing is to recognize that there is a cost for this joy, but good news, it's an exchange program. In Isaiah, it's one of our key verses as a church. In Isaiah, probably it's a key verse of the church. 61, this is the declaration of Jesus made about Jesus in Isaiah, but that he made of himself. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, and here's the exchange program, to give them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of the spirit of heaviness. Sometimes the way that we make room is we have to be willing to give him our sorrow. Now, as Christians, we sometimes ignore sorrow. We sometimes pretend we don't have sorrow because we know we're supposed to have this message of great joy. (laughs) But it's an exchange program. You're going to have to handle it for a minute and acknowledge it in the right way with him, not for the sake of putting it back in your pocket or your bag or whatever, but for the sake of giving it to him and receive the oil of joy. Let's stand and we'll close. So Holy Spirit, come and show us what way you want us to make room for the fullness of joy in Jesus. We say yes, that this is good news for us. We just acknowledge that. We posture ourselves to recognize that this message of good news, this arrival is great joy for us. We choose to make it personal today. We say this message of great news is for others around us. And we ask that you would make our joy complete. You would make our joy full by allowing us to share it with those around us. That there are those around us that haven't heard the good news, or if they have heard it, They don't recognize that it is for them. Would you make it personal for the people in our lives, God? Help us make that message personal to those that we love that don't yet have this fullness of joy. God, we ask that you would give us fullness of joy by making space. Would you show us the things that we fill ourselves with, the things that are manufactured, the things that are momentary, the things that are material, so that we can make space for the miracle of your joy. And God, we ask that you would give us the courage to handle our sorrow long enough to hand it off to you, that we would make this exchange, that we would be willing 
to acknowledge the ashes so that you can give us the garland, to acknowledge the mourning so that we can receive the oil of gladness. God, we ask for the garment of praise to be exchanged this, this season in our lives. Make space in us, God, for the fullness of joy, a joy that outweighs every competing emotion. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. To learn more about us, please visit livingwatersmn.org.